U.S. stocks are down, the U.S. dollar is down, the price of bonds in the U.S. is down. Everything seems to be heading in one direction at the moment, except, sadly, virus infections are up. And that election is now just a little over a week away. So is that the next big event that could create a more risk-on mood? Or maybe it'll come this week with Brexit. Could there be an answer this week? It's Monday, the 26th of October, 2020. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. Well, U.S. stocks finished Friday up, but the week down, the Nasdaq uh, almost reached 0.4% up on Friday. But uh, over the week, it was down more than 1%. European stocks did even better on Friday, up 0.9% for the Eurostox 50. But over the week, it was 1.4% down. And the yield curve for U.S. bonds steepened over the week. We had 30-year bond yields uh, up 11 basis points, just 1.2 basis points for two years. But it would have been even more pronounced if uh, 30 years hadn't fallen 3.5 basis points on Friday. So we'll look at that today. The week finished uh, badly for the pound. It lost a third of 1%. uh, But all that Brexit hope kept it over 1% up across the full week. The US dollar fell 0.2% on the DXY on Friday, almost 1% down across the week. The strongest currency in the G10 last week after the Norwegian krona was the Kiwi dollar, almost 1.4% up compared to 0.8% for the Aussie dollar across the week. And prices pushed higher for zinc, coal, copper last week, but down for iron ore and oil. But uh, just about everything was down on Friday, it seems. But we're not getting down. How can we be? Because we have Ray Atrell to lift our spirits at the start of the week, head of FX strategy at NAB in Sydney. You've got to sound suitably upbeat after that introduction, Ray. Um, let's look at, but let's talk about bad numbers. Well, no, fairly good numbers actually. Uh, let's start on PMIs on Friday. Uh, the numbers for Europe, the UK, and the US um, seems to be a fairly familiar pattern. This, if we're looking at uh, service numbers, an improvement for the US, but uh, getting worse for services in Europe and the UK. Yes, good morning, Phil, and welcome from a, a wet and wild east coast of Australia, um, and some pretty, uh, pretty appalling virus news globally as far as the US and Europe Mm. is concerned. But as you say, those PMI numbers on Friday, um, I don't know how best describe them, surprisingly resilient, I think is probably, um, you know, the best descriptor, certainly of the service sector numbers that we had from France, Germany, and the pan-Eurozone numbers. Yes, all down and uh, on the composite measure um, for the Eurozone has slipped below 50 and the, the services measure to 46.2 from 48. But um, from a market perspective, I think there was a sort of sigh of relief that the numbers weren't much worse given the trend mm. in, in infection rates and obviously moves to, um, you know, to tighten lockdowns uh, you know, across um, large parts of Europe. And then many, on the manufacturing side, the, really the standout feature, and I think was probably the biggest market mover, certainly as far as the euro was concerned, was the German manufacturing PMI, 58.0, yeah. um, up from 56.4, and against expectations for a dip to 55. So, you know, we're used to calling uh, Germany the growth engine of Europe, and within that manufacturing being the growth engine of Germany. I'm not quite sure how true that still is, but um, that was certainly the, mm. the headline numbers that, um, as I say, I think certainly limited scope for those service sector dips to have any negative impact. Well, can manufacturing then- can sort of carry on, can't it? I mean, you know, if there's not a lot of contact between people, whereas obviously that is the, the big problem for services. So the big question for all those service numbers is, uh, even though, you know, some of, some of them are, are still not showing growth, I mean, Germany is still below 50 on services so it's it's um you know it's still contracting but even where it's growing is it is that just a temporary measure because we're starting to see uh, numbers increase again so there's going to be uh, more measures so is this the calm uh, 
in the middle of the storm, in other words. I mean, if we look at the UK, for example, retail sales bounced back a bit on Friday. The numbers for September up 1.5% month on month and 5.5% higher than they were in February before the pandemic hit. But, you know, is that going to last long? Because since then, more lockdowns. Wales, for example, now is in, in total lockdown and the infection numbers continue to rise and that's not just obviously the uk it's the same across europe and in the united states so maybe this was just the you know the good patch in the middle well quite possibly and look at that um, the uk services pmi 52.3 down from 56.1 so yes still expanding but at a much uh, slower right. pace than we had previously mm. and that's probably you know telling in terms of uh, you know whether that's that what one and a half percent jump in in retail sales that we saw is sustainable. That said, I think, you know, it is worth mentioning that, you know, again, looking at infection rates that are now comparable in many countries to, to the peak of the pandemic back in February, March time, um, it's mm. clear that, um, you know, economic activity, including in the service sector, you know, isn't crunching as sharply or deeply as was the case back there. So, you know, I'm not suggesting that, uh, you know, people are learning to, you uh, um, you know, learn to cope with the with the pandemic in terms of activity, but it is clear that um, you know economic activity is is proceeding at a, at a better rate than was yeah. the case. And I think that might be a little bit structural rather than just saying, oh, you know, fast forward two months and we're going to be back yeah. in the depths of uh, yeah, of exactly. But we, we, we've had more tests, so we're getting more cases because there's more tests. But what is the worry is that we are now starting to see more hospital admissions right across Europe. They're running out of intensive care beds, we read in France, for example, having to move people around to different parts of the country. So, so that's where it becomes the real concern. They're probably the numbers to look at. No, absolutely. So the idea that, uh, yes, we can, we can learn to live with this and uh, uh, better than we could back there is, you know, it's all contingent on, you know, um, hospital systems not getting overloaded. So I think we're all familiar yeah. with those curves. You've got the, you know, the real steep bell curve. Um, you know, if we all go into lockdown and we've got this much more elongated affair, um, you know, which, which, you know, in some arguments was the right policy from the start, but all contingent on, you know, hospital systems everywhere being able to cope with, you um, with the impact of higher infections. And then I think it seems that we're we're close to a sort of tipping point, certainly you know, in places like Spain, Italy and France, they're warning of um, you know, hospitals being overloaded. Um, certainly as we get into the, um, the northern hemisphere or a winter, and mm. obviously the risk is that um, those infection rates are going to get worse before they get better. So we'll watch all that with interest as always, of course. But talking about curves, uh, we had big moves in treasuries last week particularly for the 30 years, the long end, yields um, heading up during the week, but a swift direct change in direction on Friday. So how much of that do you think was to do with the election debate? Do you know, did people think, well, Donald Trump's performing better than we thought he would? For example? Well, all the indications are that, um, you know, they haven't made a lot of impression on the polls. Um you know, so so I don't think there's anything decisive, as has been the case in history. The polls have, have not proved mm. decisive. And even after, you know, the debacle or whatever you want to call it of the first debate, um, you know, we didn't see a, you know, a, a real move one way or the other as far as the polls were concerned. So yeah. I don't really think that's... So, so what's happening with bonds then? What's causing this this shift? In well, I think, you know, let's look at, let's look at equities over the, over the week. I mean, I'm just looking, you know, equities down last week, the US dollar mm. down. Bond prices down, so yields up. That's a pretty unusual juxtaposition. So it's hard to square that on an ongoing basis. And maybe, you know, on Friday, you know, there was a view that obviously there was quite a squeeze on, um, you know, on, on you know, long bond positions at least last week. Um, and I think mm. probably just gone too far, too fast, which we did, while well, we did have that little bit of a 
little bit of a pullback yeah. and say 10, 11 basis points on 10 years is enough. And in fact, I was just looking at, um, you know, certainly going back to equities and the US dollar, um, going back to April, um, so effectively six months, there's only been one other week where we've seen equities falling and the dollar falling. So, we're, you know, the typical... Um, you know, occurrence is that, uh, you know, if it's risk off because equities are down, then the dollar goes up. But even that was um, turned on its head somewhat last week, which, you know, to my mind is, is testament to the fact that the, um, you know, the dollar is in a a downtrend here, albeit interrupted by periods or significant periods of risk off. But overall, it was only what a 1% or so fall in equities. So perhaps not enough to engender a significance or reversal in the dollar trend. And if I look at the uh, the Bloomberg BBDXY index, which is a broader index than the narrow DXY that we often refer to, that's sort of 60% euros, the level that we closed out on Friday was the lowest since May 2008. So two and a half year lows um, for the uh, for the US dollar. But um, yeah. generally, in terms of caution, you know, heading into the elections, you know, my sense would be that it's going to be difficult for equities to really roar ahead here, particularly with no um, you know, fiscal deal being agreed. And that, you know, surely plays to something of, of a safe haven bid that will keep the Treasury market in some sort of check, I would have thought. Nancy Pelosi is still hopeful, though. <coughs> she, uh, she is saying on Sunday uh, that uh, the Trump administration was reviewing the latest plan for this uh, relief package over the weekend. She expected a response on Monday and she is still optimistic a deal could be reached for she is uh, forever hopeful, isn't she? I think she's the only one uh, who's left <laughs> with any hope on that. Look, and look, it looks like, I mean, normally, you know, at this stage we'll be thinking, well, maybe Donald Trump's going to come back. When I say normally, because he's only ever run for election once before. But of course, you know, 10 days out from the election, that's when he really did start to narrow the gap. It looks like we're not seeing that. And I'm reading Politico today saying that in Florida, the Democrats had a huge advantage in the early postal votes. It looks like, I don't know how they know this, that the Republicans now turning up in large numbers for early voting. But white voters without a college degree, Trump's heartland, constitutes a smaller proportion of the total votes cast in Florida uh, than at 10 days before the election last time. So, you know, there's no there's no clear signs that that gap is narrowing. Uh, it, it looks like, uh, you know, we, we're still continuing down that track of saying it's going to be a Biden win. And, you know, maybe they're going to take both houses as well. No, that seems to be the case. And, uh, you know, of, of all the uh, the reams of analysis one can read about this and sort of the parallels with 2016 and the uh, apparent either sharp narrowing in, in the poll gap in, in the week, in the few weeks leading up to it or. Um, you know, criticism that the pollsters failed to to adequately reflect the sort of demographic, particularly, as you say, that non-college educated white um, voter who clearly, um, you know, came out on the day in favour of Trump much more than the polls were uh, were able to adequately um, adequately um, reflect. But um, but in general, and I think one of the sort of relevant comments is that back in 2016, we had far more undecided voters than we have done this time. Mm. So there does seem to be higher levels of conviction amongst certainly registered voters about which way they're going to vote. Um, and in that respect, you know, the tide, you know, that, that has you know, clearly moved in Biden's favour over the last three or four months perhaps is, is yeah. more resilient. So um, maybe we're not going to yeah. see that, uh, that narrowing. And, and what if, that said, I still think, uh, you know, a week out from the election, you know, caution has got to be a watchword, one would have thought. So what is, what's going to bring back a uh, risk on then in that case? I mean, is it going to be a vaccine? We're going to have to wait for that. We had Dr. Anthony Fauci saying that it could, should be known by the end of November if a vaccine is available that's safe and effective. But it's going to take a few months to roll out. Uh, so could that be something that's going to get uh, markets enthused again, do you think? Yes, but that's not, uh, that, that's not news for next week, is it? The 
that, no. uh, you know, all the considered comment is that, um, you know, if we got something uh, before the end of the year, that would be almost miraculous. And realistically, we're talking about next year. But in terms of what can change things around, um, you know, if next Wednesday, Thursday, it looks like we've got a, a clean election or an uncontested election. Um, and let's say Joe Biden's in the, you know, has, has won the White House and the, the Senate has turned blue. I think that will be a catalyst for a significant risk on rally. Um, and it's, it's way too early yeah. for markets to be fretting about the, you know, the negative implications of that from a tax and, and regulatory point of view. So I think, you know, if we remove that uncertainty, that in itself is going to be enough to see and, and Brexit, markets respond positively. Brexit, Michelle Barnier is hanging on in London, apparently. Uh, one of the newspapers is saying Halloween Brexit showdown. Uh, so, you know, we might get an answer this week. There's been speculation that actually Boris might have been trying to delay the whole thing until he knows the results of the US election, presumably because he's thinking, well, OK, if he can get a, a good good deal from his mate in the States, but if his mate's uh, lost his job, he's going to have to be nice to the Europeans. So maybe he's realised that already. So perhaps it will be. Perhaps we will have news on Brexit this week. Maybe. But it's like you said, it's the first week of, it's the last week of October, you know, we're miles away from the deadline. The deadline's mid-November. You know, that's a, that's an eon <laughs> in uh, in EU UK <laughs> negotiations. So uh, you may well be right about wanting to hang on, but uh, at the moment, time still seems to be on the side of uh, of more drawn out negotiations. Let's mm. see. All the same. All right. Okay. Well, we'll see what this week brings. I mean, quiet day today, isn't it? Uh, Gemini phone numbers for October. U.S. new home sales. Uh, Communist Party annual meeting kicks off. Uh, there's not, not a lot there for us to talk about, really. Uh, no, so I think things are going to hot up. We'll be poll watching, certainly. And down here, uh, the yeah. CPI numbers midweek will uh, will be of, of, of some interest, yeah. of course, as we head towards the RBA next uh, Tuesday. All right, very good. Thanks, Ray. Thanks for kicking the week off for us. We'll catch you again very soon. Thanks, all. And that is it for this Monday morning. I'm Phil Dobby for NAB. Back again for another edition of The Morning Call tomorrow morning. See you then.